Let's open to Genesis chapter 47 this evening. We'll read verses 1 through 12 to begin here. Genesis chapter 47 and beginning at verse 1. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know of any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread, according to the number of their families. So in the midst of this global disaster, where many people were dying, countries, tribes, nations were crumbling, God took care of his people. God continued to guard that promise of the coming Messiah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's our God, too. And he's given us many promises, and he has promised never to leave us nor forsake us, and he has promised to provide everything we need in order to have his best, to do his will in this life and to enter into our reward in eternity. And so we can trust this God. That is, he takes care of every detail. He knows the end from the beginning, and that's our problem We can just see the now, and we fear what might be. But God knows what will be, and he's already made the promise that he would take care of us. The word that uh, Jacob uses here to describe his life, he, he describes it with the word pilgrimage. Now, the Hebrew word that's translated pilgrimage, it means to sojourn, which means not it has the thought of not just traveling, but stopping along the way as you travel. There are times when you are in the midst of a trip, but you have to stop for a little while. You know you're not going to stay there, but it's necessary to stop and rest a little while and maybe take on some provisions, and then you move on. But you know when you, when you stop that it's just temporary. That's what sojourning is, and that's what this word means. Jacob's faith in God's plan to give them the land of Canaan 
is reflected in this word. He, he knows that he's not, the destiny of his descendants is not in the land of Egypt. God told him that they would spend some time in a foreign country, but the land of Canaan was the land that was promised. And so Jacob looked at this stop in Egypt, a necessary stop, but one that would not be permanent and that he, God was using it to provide for them, but he had something better. Let's go to Hebrews 11, and we see that it goes even beyond that promise of the earthly land of Canaan. But we know that God had made a promise to Abraham that Abraham passed down to Isaac and Jacob, and that was the promise of a city that was not built with man's hands but one that was eternal in the heavens. And so Jacob's faith here is reflected in the pilgrimage, the use of the word pilgrimage, to express his faith also in the fact that he knew he wasn't going to stay on this earth, that he was going home. So in Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 10, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob looked even further beyond than the promise of possessing the land of Canaan, and had the promise of this eternal dwelling with God. And so this is why Jacob referred to his life as a pilgrimage. Just He was just sojourning, passing through, stopping from time to time, uh, but this he knew that this life, this earth, was not his home. In this life, you and I will only have peace and contentment if we will remember that this life is just a pilgrimage. We're just passing through. We have a lot of temporary stops along the way. Some of, some of us born and raised in the, in the same city. We live and die there. Others move around quite a bit. But it, it doesn't matter what your experience is in life. This entire life is just a pilgrimage. We're just passing through. Our destiny is heaven. Our destiny is glory and life and an inheritance that will never fade away. And so when you remember that in all of your experiences in life, to know that this isn't the end. We have good times and we have bad times. We have blessings. We have trials. But we're just passing through. It'll cause us to be mindful of our conduct, our responses to circumstances and situations, to people. And to remember that we're pilgrims because we are ambassadors to our real home. We, we've been sent on a mission, and we live in the country to which we are called ambassadors, but we're here to represent our home. And if we will remember that, as Peter exhorts us here in 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 11 and 12, Peter uses this same language to remind us that because we know We're just passing through and we're going home to something that is eternal, that will never pass away. That should impact our conduct right now in this life as we travel through this life. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. 
Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. When God visits them, that thought could have a kind of a dual meaning in the day of visitation when they're given the opportunity to respond to the invitation to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that your testimony would not hinder them from responding to that invitation, but in fact it would encourage them to know that this life of faith in Jesus Christ is real because it changes our life. It gives our life perspective and meaning. And to know that we have a mission while we're here, it's not that we just have a death wish. That's not what this faith is all about. We have a mission. We're here for a purpose, and we want to be faithful to accomplish that and represent our, our homeland, our heavenly land, and our heavenly Father. And if we will remember that, then we won't get so caught up in all of that this world gets caught up in. So many Christians today, they get up, caught up in all the politics and all of the the issues of this life, and we are to be salt and light, and we are to point people to the answer to, to these things, which is faith in Jesus Christ. But we ourselves understand that we represent a different country. We represent heaven because we are pilgrims in this life. The phrase that Jacob used to describe his life when Pharaoh asked him how old he was, and so Jacob must have been looking pretty old by this time. And how old are you? And so he tells him and he describes his life, as his years, as few and evil. And that sounds like a complaint, but I don't think that that's how we ought to take it, that this, this wasn't the complaint that it appears to be. Jacob is comparing, first of all, his age to his father's age and his grandfather's age. And he felt that he wasn't quite ready to die. He, he wasn't quite as old as they were yet. Abraham lived to be 175 years, and Isaac lived to be 180 years. And Jacob is going to live another 17 years. He, he, he's going to reach 147 years before he dies. And so he didn't live quite as long as Abraham and Isaac. So that's why he describes his years as relatively few, uh, you know, 170. 47 years, that's, that's a lot of years. But in comparison to that of his father and grandfather, it wasn't quite as long. And the word that's translated evil, it doesn't mean wickedness and sin. The Hebrew word here simply means full of distress, adversity, and calamity. And that was a true statement that Jacob made. His life was full of distress, adversity, and calamity. When you look at all the things that we considered in our study of the life of Jacob, he had some trials. He had some adversities. And so that's what he was talking about. And, but I don't think it was a complaint to Pharaoh, but rather expressing his gratitude to Pharaoh that now in his last years that he was going to be able to spend that with his all of his children, and especially now with Joseph, whom he had a special love for, and that his life was now going to be much easier than it had been up to this point. And I think that that was 
an expression of thanks and gratitude to Pharaoh for letting that happen. The reality is that life is often filled with difficulty, calamity, and adversity, even for men and women of faith. The believer is not exempt from suffering in this life, and sometimes because of bad doctrine, Christians are told otherwise, and then when the reality of life hits them and they do face adversity and they wonder why God abandoned them and why faith didn't, didn't uh, work for them, it's because they were being taught something that was not faith. But faith is knowing that God is going to fulfill all of his promises in his time and his way, and that we don't demand of God how he is to fulfill those promises, but we trust him to fulfill those promises. He'll give us strength and comfort in the midst of those adversities, just as he did for Jacob, just as he did for Joseph. Joseph, he had some adversity in his life, and yet none of those annulled any of the promises that God made Joseph, because, and, and then later Jacob. God never promised Joseph or Jacob that they wouldn't have any problems. He never made that promise. There are some preachers today that make that promise to God's people, but it's a lie. But God never made that promise, but he did promise to fulfill the promises that he has made and to provide for us and to protect us until we enter into those promises. And so that's what faith is. We're destined not for adversity, but for rest, for glory, for victory and eternal life. Meanwhile, in this sojourning of this life, God said he would teach us, he would refine us, he would get us ready to enter in to all of those promises that he's made. So our trials, our adversity are not pointless when we look to him in faith. And again, we need to remember that so we don't get overwhelmed and get discouraged in those trials. Sometimes we just feel like they don't have a point. But God is working through all of those to prepare us to enter in to all that he's prepared for us. Romans 8 and verse 18. This promise puts our suffering in perspective. It doesn't tell us that our suffering is not important. It doesn't say that, oh, it's just a little thing. It just says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Quite a promise, isn't it? When you look at all of the calamity that Jacob experienced, that Joseph experienced, you say, wow, that's, that's a lot of suffering but not worthy to be compared. That's how great the reward is. That's how great the glory that God has prepared for us. We see in this passage also that Jacob blesses Pharaoh, both when they're introduced and, and then when he's dismissed from his presence. Jacob is blessing Pharaoh. And God's people are to be a blessing to those around, even to the ungodly around us. As I mentioned earlier, we are the salt and the light of, of the earth. We, we have that preserving power to preserve decency. And we live in a society that seems like all decency is thrown out the window. And people just look at you and automatically hate you for whatever reason. Um, but we are to be the preserving of that which is good and right by our own conduct. We are to be the light that, that sheds a light, that gives people a contrast between the darkness of sin and rebellion 
and what it means to walk in the will of God. We are the light of the world. When Jacob blessed Pharaoh, it wasn't a hollow blessing. God did bless and prosper Egypt, and he did so for the sake of his people Israel. Pharaoh became one of the richest men on the planet because of the presence of Jacob and his family. And this is what is, is so interesting about how fickle the human heart is because just one generation after this Pharaoh that was so blessed by the presence of the Jews, in one generation the Egyptians turned and hated the Jews for their presence and feared them rather than understanding that God had blessed them because of the Jews. Then we see that all through history, don't we, where nations and societies, empires, blame the very presence of the Jews for all of their problems, economical problems or if plagues or diseases, well, it's because of the Jews in, in our midst. But God used his people to bless Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But whether or not the world appreciates us or not, God will always care for us. He always does. And that's our joy. That's our peace. Those who treat God's people well, they'll experience goodness and mercy, the mercy of God. Even if that mercy and that blessing is temporary and earthly, God blesses those who bless his people. Now let's go on to verses 13 to 26 of Genesis 47. Genesis 47 and verses 13 to 26. Genesis 47, verse 13. Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they, they bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. No longer have enough money to even buy the bread. Then Joseph said, Give your livestock, and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds, and for the donkeys. And thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, Will we not hide from my Lord that our money is gone? My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field, because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities, from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priest he did not buy, for the priest had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own, 
as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your households, and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth, except for the land of the priest only, which did not become Pharaoh's. So Joseph continues here to be faithful in his responsibilities as Pharaoh's administrator to continue to, to manage the famine that threatened to destroy the, the entire empire of Egypt and all of the tribal nations in the land of Canaan. That's how severe this, this famine was. And so his wise management, it made Pharaoh rich, made Pharaoh a powerful man. In, in the process, he saved many, many lives that otherwise would have been lost. It matters how we perform our day-to-day -day responsibilities. This is what I come away with as I see the details of Joseph's administration here. It matters how we perform in those responsibilities at home, school, work. As a Christian, it matters. There are so many Christians, whether it be in their schoolwork or in their work life, they're, they're just, how can we say it? They're just lazy. They don't take their responsibilities serious. Oh, well, that's just, that just has to do with earthly things. I'm too heavenly minded. No, it matters how you perform in these areas. Uh, we're not talking about perfection, but we're talking about looking to the Lord to enable you to be the best that you can possibly be in every situation and every circumstance. So that that testimony that people see that you are responsible, that you are trustworthy in natural things. And if they can trust you with natural things, they're going to be more receptive to trust you in spiritual things. This is what Jesus taught in Luke 16, verses 9 to 13. Luke 16, verses 9 to 13. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. He's talking about money. That when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. That's, that's the point that I want us to, to get from reading the details of Joseph's faithfulness and his administration of Pharaoh's business. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Aren't trustworthy in the small details and duties? Why would anybody trust you with anything else? Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Well, many different lessons here in this passage. We don't do what we do for our love of money. Love of money is the root of all evil. But we are faithful in handling money, in our money, and the responsibilities that we have in, uh, as employees at work. 
We are to be faithful in those things as a testimony to God, that it will be an opportunity for us to share the true riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think we'll stop there tonight.